also be holy in your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Peter, when he's writing this, is quoting Leviticus. And what was really interesting, as I began to look at the context of what Peter was quoting this in, he was quoting it in a time when Christians, you know, you'll actually read in the first, in the first verse of 1 Peter, it says, 1 Peter 1, it says, to the dispersed, in other translations it says, to the scattered. Now people might often say that's those here outside Jerusalem, but also it was the, the context in which they were in was, you know, Christians, it was in a time of you know, persecution, obviously, was they were, they were scattered and dispersed. It was actually a time when Nero was emperor, and, and, you know, the, the context says that there was a big de- uh, a fire around that time of devastated Jerusalem. But it so happened that it didn't devastate the land and properties of Nero and, and some family members. It was suspicious enough that actually he then began to cover it up because he used Christians as a scapegoat. Nero, it is reported that Nero hated Christians that much, I'm sorry for the graphics, that he used to use them. He used to light them as torches to light up his garden at night. That's how much Nero... That's the context that Paul, or not Paul, Peter is writing. Be holy, be set apart, be different in the cultures and the community. Have transformation in you. He's speaking it in a context way different to the one we're in. But he says, in a time where Christians are being used to light up the gardens of the rulers. I mean, Fiona came earlier and talked about the, the craziness of our, um, our government and, and, and feeling the Lord. We had to pray for our governments. We had to pray for the state of what's going on. And we have to lean into actually and trust what God's doing. But times when we read that actually governments and rulers and leaders were using people who went before us in, in torturous ways, Peter speaks at a command that was given throughout Scripture. says, be holy, be set apart, be different, even when the odds are stacked against you. And you and I have to move past comfort. You and I, this command that we have, you and I have to be willing to actually be burned relationally by our friends and our family in order to continue to see out the life, be holy for I am holy. And it's a command that's not an unattainable thing. Obviously, we can go into the whole process, but the grace of the Spirit that wants to come upon us this morning, I really believe that we can look. And, And as I was reading it this week, be holy for I am holy, it stopped me in my tracks. It stopped me and I thought, you know, be holy for I am holy. It sounds great. It actually sounds a holy thing to say, right? In a Christian culture. But as I began to, you know, look at it, it almost becomes this, you know, when you open up the can of worms, it's like, oh, no, man, I have to really pay attention to this because it's a command that we can either do one or two things. We can choose to read it and then ignore it. Or we can choose the harder walk pushing past comfort and to pursue a life of holiness. But one thing that we cannot do and I will not let us do is allow that command to be an op- optional extra of our lives. That when we pursue the kingdom, you know, holiness is just that, you know, eh, you know, God's got a lot of grace for us and we live in a very hyper grace community here. You know, you know there's, there's been so much, you will not even believe, you know, in, in lives here that the world screw ups that happen behind the messes or behind the scenes. We will never bring that into public. There's grace upon a grace upon grace upon restoration. And we don't ever uh, badger someone to say, well, you have to pay for what you've done. No, because there's grace and abundance. And we see healing and transformation. That's what I love. They're your stories to tell. They're not ours. But I love what happens behind the scenes because hopefully you know that this is a community of grace. But if we take back the veil of just using grace as an excuse, 
and we look at ourselves and begin to go, what parts of me do I need to surrender to the Lord? What parts of me do I need to look at that aren't necessarily lining up to the way that God wants us? You see, the thing for me is this call, this command, it's actually an apostolic one. This command gives us an apostolic mandate to live a holy life. Because how many know we're an apostolic people? We're sent people to bring what, like we says, why we send out. We send people out to be apostles, to go and bring, you know, there was evangelistic calls there. That we have to be seeking the kingdom and bringing that elsewhere that we don't, we don't just stay in a holy huddle. But it's, it's why I believe be holy for I am holy is inseparable or is actually in conjunctive to the Great Commission. It was only this week I began to look and go, these two things are actually inseparable. Why? Well, Matthew 28 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. It's not that we do these things, we baptize, we teach, we go through the motions, we dedicate, because they're the good Christian things to do. But when we partake in them, those who partake in them are moving closer to the ways of Christ. And it's the command that when we go through them that we're laying our lives down just as Christ laid his life down for us. And we may know those. We, as we go through that line, we, he begins to, by the power of his Holy Spirit, shape us, mold us, and change us into his likeness. But we have to remember it's not an optional extra to church, to the Christian life. I wonder if anybody here maybe remembers, it's not as common these days, but maybe you're from Belfast or even some ways around here and the old sweetie shops, anybody remember the old sweetie shops where you went down and it was like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory on the high street and it was like all of these uh, you know, sweets of bon bon, maybe you're, you're in Newcastle direction and you go in and you go in your wee bag and you, you, know, you go, I want, I want that sweet, you know, it's clove rock, I don't really know anybody likes those. Um, but now all of a sudden, the different sweets that we, we get in, in those shops, and you, maybe you remember as a wee kid, you go in and you go, you know, whatever, I don't know, your two shillings back then. <laughs> um, and you go in and you, you pick all the wee different sweets and you create a, a, a mix-up. Now they just, now they just bung mix-ups together, right? But back then you got to choose the ones you liked. And as I was thinking about that, I thought we can often treat living or following Christ like that. That we live life with a pick-and-mix theology. That we go, I'll, I'll take those bits of scripture. I'll, I'll take the promises of God because I like those. I can really gain with those. But that dying to self thing, I don't want to do that. So I begin to leave that. And what we do is we run the danger of reducing our lives to a feel-good factor. We, we run the, the risk of reducing the Christian walk as a feel-good factor. Anybody here who has, you know, taken on a, you know, running a race or, you know, training for a race or taking on learning a new instrument or a new skill, you all know that the pain and the constant learning and changing that you had to go through in order to, to become that person, in order to achieve that goal, in order to, to adapt and integrate that new skill into your life. Because anything that is worth going after requires a willingness to change, right? And holiness is exactly like this. It can't be earned, but it can only be received when we're willing to change. Now, the problem is, if you're a bit like me, we all have an inherent resistance to change. 
Anybody here have an inherent who here loves change? I've asked this question before, right? We like the change that we are willing to change in, but see the things that we don't want to let go of? Yeah. But the problem is, we have not only a culture and a society that says, don't you be telling me how I should live my life. Don't you be telling me the change that I should be bringing in. And I felt there's in the church. Now, now, the problem also is, is that we have a society that aren't willing to define anything anymore, that anything goes. In fact, the world wants to blur the lines of boundaries and definitions, the things that we should be striving for because we don't want to change. But how many know boundaries and definition are important to the fluidity of the human mind and the human heart? That in the kingdom of God, it's important for our emotionality and our mental health to have a framework of reference, a way of life that we should walk and imitate. I'm not a parent, and I'm not claiming to be an expert. I bless you parents who have to <coughs> sacrifice sleep and so on. I really do. So I don't claim to be an expert. But one of the things I do know is that it's absolutely necessary for a child's internal security to have a sense of boundaries. It's fundamentally important because when a child grows up and they're taught boundaries, not only does it help them to know, to learn what's right and wrong, but it also helps to create a sense of safety in them. It also teaches them social norms, but it also then begins to teach them how they should interact with others. And when a child grows up in a home without boundaries, they will grow up to be anxious and deeply insecure. I'm not only speaking from experience, but I'm also, I've worked with enough what society would consider problem kids to know the cries and the desires for boundaries, that the, the bad behavior is communication. The pushing of boundaries is learning, will you set a boundary for me? You know when your kid is going through the terrible twos and they're, they're, you will know they're testing the boundaries because they're trying to learn what they can get away with. They're also being just pains, but they're learning. A bit like this, if you imagine, some of you are not gonna like this because you're not rugby fans, but you know, whatever sport, you're playing a game of rugby. And what happens is it's important that there's rules. There's import, it's important that there's boundaries. We can't have Colin come along and go, I want my net to be, you know, six feet. But Thomas come along going, but mine's going to be three feet. While Queen is over here going, I'm moving my byline away over here. While Hannah's away off playing something else. If you didn't have any rules, you didn't have it, the game wouldn't function. There wouldn't be a fluidity. It would be chaos. And it's important that there's rule. There are rules, and I'll use that language, but it's important that there's a framework of reference. Like I said, the less boundaries there are, the more anxiety that there will be. There is a difference between boundaries and control. I'll go into that another time. But the kingdom of God is set up with boundaries. It's set up with things not to keep people out, but to keep people secure. To create a garden that people will know this is the order of life. You know somebody comes to you, whether in work, uh, a potential friend, or whatever you're leading, and they're going, let's just chuck out all the order here. Do not make them leaders. Okay? They will use excuses. There's method in my madness, and so on, so on, and so on. There may be as much charisma as, you know, the, light, the sun can give. But someone 
who has an internal mechanism of chaos, which actually is in some ways is a boundary as well. Don't make them any places of leaving. Anyways. <clears throat> holiness is no different. You see, as I've said, holiness is not about, it's important we know that holiness is not about setting an unattainable standard, but it's actually about creating a healthy way of life that we have to imitate. In the same way we don't earn God's love and earn holiness, we actually display it by the way that we live. And we have to make a decision as a church and as a community. You have to make a decision as an individual. That what type of life are you going to live, but also what type of life you're going to subscribe to. That as cost rises, are you willing to pay the price? Are we willing to pay the price to come like Christ and be obedient to him? Are we willing to die to our desires, our ways of thinking, in order to have his come into fruition within us? It's time that you and I clean and cleanse our inner temples. I really believe, like I said at the start, I really believe that the Lord's hand is on this area. You might call me bias. I call myself prophetic. I really believe, and I've heard chatted to enough of you, and I know the history, but I really believe the Lord's hand is on this place, that for me it's not a question of when revival, will, or if revival will come, it's when it will come. But I really believe we have to be willing to pay the price. I really believe a dead church is a church that isn't pursuing holiness. I really believe that an apathy, lackluster people are people that have forgotten about the command, that have treated holiness as an optional extra. I want to ask you, people often say, but this town is filled with so much moral darkness. I mean, it was the basis of our conversation going, people don't want to know anything about Jesus. But you know what I've discovered? It's in the places of the deep moral darkness and depression is actually where revival comes the best. It requires something from you and I. You see, the characteristics, I really believe, of holiness coming and revival outpouring is one that we actually decide we need to put to death the things of sin in our lives. We can't beat around the bush. We can't say that Jesus is full of grace, be hyper grace, and never deal with the things on the inside of us. We have to look at sin. See, a church that denies that sin has, a, has an influence in our lives is a church that's not gonna come alive because it won't know what it needs to put death to in order for life to flow. But oftentimes we only follow the leaders that are gonna willing to tickle our ears and call out the good things in us. But what about the leaders that are willing to call out the bad things knowing that good things are to come? And we have to overcome the persistent sins in our lives. I love that in two weeks' time we're gonna have we actually have now seven people getting baptized from two. After last week, the dedications, and we went through the explaining the reasons of, of why you get dedicated and a personal belief. Five more people came up and went, I, I have to give my, you know, to do this. And we will have baptism class after uh, church next week. And if you, honestly, if you've not went through full immersion baptisms, I'd encourage you to come. Maybe you were sprinkled as a baby, I was too. And you really believe that baptism is the beginning of your Christian faith and there's the, the going back and forth. Come chat next week. You're not signing up for baptisms, but you can come chat. But what I love about baptisms and the waters of baptism is that a bit like when, when getting rid of sin is the old person, we, we, we lure you down in and we say, you know, dying with Christ and then raised in your life with him. That the old is gone and the new comes. And I can tell you, when you do full immersion, it's not just a representation. There's something supernatural happens. 
Paul talked about, and now that's not just, I've done baptism, great, I'm holy now. That there's a process we have to go through. That we don't just rely on the sacraments to save us or to, to cleanse us, but actually we go through a process. Paul talked about uh, persevering the race set before. You know the, the word persever, perseverance is that continuous operation of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer by which the work of divine grace that has begun in the heart is continued and brought into completion. You'll not fully be in a place of restoration, glorification, or holiness until, you know, we, we, we're again with Christ. But there's something that you and I have to press into, a quickening, I really believe it is possible, that I really, we have to give our lives to, is a quickening of the Holy Spirit, the quickening of our own spirit, the bringing the things back to life that are in Christ, where we're roused, that we're brought to joy the things that we're prayed for, that we don't just live with a, you know what, we blame society, church is dying, all this type of thing, but no, imagine what it could be in this community that we would be so roused, we've been so filled and, and transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have joy. How many of you know you can't have joy if you don't go through mourning? But we're willing to, you know, we don't know how to grieve, we don't know how to, to go through that process of letting go. How many of you know you have to go through loss in order then to have life? You have to go through bitterness in order to have joy. And I really believe that it's our destiny as a community that we would be rejuvenated and revigorated and that we would see that out there. It's the basis of revival. Like I says, a church that is dead is a church that stopped pursuing holiness. And holiness is found in his holy presence. And that's why I love this morning. But we have to not only just go, oh, that's great. Amen. Next thing. No, in that place, we go, Lord, what do I need mercy for? What do I need you to cleanse? I mean, you know, when, when the Spirit of God falls on a temple, he wants to clean it. When the Holy Spirit comes upon the corporate temple that we do, he wants to clean it even more so that it can then begin to reflect. And guess what? As he cleans us, he remains even more. And what happens is when we go, people go, oh, I want what they have. Part of the Great Commission. But I will tell you, it'll take the idols of comfort to fall in our lives. I want to ask you, in what ways are you comfortable this morning? In what ways do you need to step outside your comfort zone? There is no part of us that is ever outside of the possibilities of transformation in Jesus. There's no part of our mind, will, and emotion that God does not want to touch, transform, and regenerate. But too many of us can fall into the thinking that holiness is just about behavior modification. That's actually a counterfeit holiness. But holiness has to invade every part of our lives. And you and I have to decide, am I going to press in to a holy life? Do I want to be holy? Do I want to be holy because he is holy? That's what you have to ask yourself this morning. Am I going to press in regardless of who sits beside me? That we would have, if I invite the, um, Chris and the guys back up, we have to decide what part of my mind, what part of my belief systems do you need, need transformed? What part of my heart do I need the Lord to come and heal? Where sin is, is in there. 
what part of my will is there persistent things that I'm doing, the desires, the appetites that I have? Maybe you hear, you're here and you have an appetite for all sorts of crutches, the drink and the drugs in our lives, the binge eating, the Netflixes, all sorts of things. What are the things in our lives that we need to, we actually need, when we look at are so hopeless. But remember, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we don't present sin as the end of our, our story, but actually we look at Christ in us who can help us overcome it. I believe that we are on the cusp. If you are willing for testimonies to break out in this place, I believe if you're willing to pay the price that we will see in this room alone, we will see the first fruits of revival. If you're willing to go, I want a holy life. Okay, Lord, show me what are the things in me that I need you to come and prune? What are the things that I need to get rid of? That sin is, you know, the, the, the yeast that's, you know, spoiled the whole batch. What's in me that's just began to spring up? And let the Holy Spirit convict you. Let him convict you. We haven't spoken about it enough in this church, but we need convicted of our sin. Not to stay there, but I believe that we will see revival. Why don't you stand? As these guys lead us, I want you to ask, what idols need to fall? And what does he need to come and move in your life? There will be the prayer ministry that he can come up but we're going to have a time next week as well where we will continue to press into this. But Father, I pray. And maybe you want to pray this. And only pray this if you are willing. Don't pray it if you're not. But pray, Father, I want to be holy because you are holy. If that's you and you want to pray that. Father, I want to be holy because you are holy. The Holy Spirit, I give you permission to come and convict me of my sin. Convict me of the persistent sin in my life. That your mercy would come and lead me into freedom. That you would lead me into healing, Lord. But this morning, Lord, I have to choose to repent. So Lord, I ask would you come in your mercy and your grace this morning. That as you convict me of what's in here, God, I wouldn't shy away from it. That I would persist and I would pursue to walk the narrow, through the narrow gate and the road that leads to life, the very few friend. And this morning, would you create a holy work in me this week? And I would not shy away, God, that I would stop reducing my faith to a feel-good factor. And I would press into the things that hurt so that, Lord, there may be new life. Like the phoenix, God, that has to die in order to regenerate, Lord. I pray, would you do something in us this morning? Do something in me as I choose a life of holiness.